0: Thank you. <laughs> I will. Uh, I <laughs> I uh, used to have a guy who would say, preach it, brother, as I was getting up. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to do an interpretive dance. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I can do whatever I please. Um, there is a... Uh, I, 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 you may not know this, but we we sent a surrogate out this week. Did you know that uh, we have we're we're one of those churches now where they call us and say, "Hey, we need a preacher," and we just send somebody, someone, um, whether they want to go or not. Uh, I loved it. It was uh, Brad Cheshire is preaching in Athens, Arkansas this morning, um, and I didn't tell any of you that because you would have gone. <laughs> we didn't announce it because we wanted you here. Um, we didn't want you ransacking Athens, but Brad, I told him, we, 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 got a, John got a message from Lance, the preacher over there at Athens saying, I'm going to be gone. The guy that was going to fill in for me has, uh, has, he's, uh, he backed out. Um, I think his words were like a chump, I think was what he said, <laughs> but he then said, uh, he said, do you have anybody? And so we sent a message to uh, three different people and Brad almost immediately called me and said, hey i want to do it can does it, do the other guys want to do it and i said well you're the first one to call so dibs right and so he he came over wednesday night and uh, i said do you want do you want to come over and like like talk about it you i'm i'm up for that he was like yes I was like okay and so he came over and we kind of worked through where he was going I and mean, he man, he had it all laid out he was uh, he did not need my help at all but uh One of the things that he wanted from me was to just show it to me because it's something I do all the time and just see if it was something that would work. Um, If I were to coach a football team, I might ask him a few questions too. But you know what no one ever wants? Advice that is unsolicited. Um, Now, you might need it. You might need unsolicited advice, especially if you're one of um, the fools that never solicits advice. But no one really ever wants you coming up to them um, after a sermon. And I felt like doing this before when I'm going to like when I visit other churches, felt like going up and saying, hey, you know, if you did this, it would have been would have done that or. But no one wants to hear that from me. I once had a man come up to me afterwards and say, hey, I would like to uh, talk to you about this, um, about how you preach, if you would like um, some help. <laughs> Thank you. I then said, what's your name? He hadn't told me his name yet. We we love to get a, give advice. One of the things I realized whenever... Um, we had a child. When, we, when Clara was born, uh, Clara's very hot-natured. She, she, just, she gets hot really easily and does not get cold. And you, you would have thought we were just out in public beating her, like hitting her with the, the brunt end of a trident or something. Just uh, some awful punishment that we didn't have a jacket on this girl. But she would cry and cry until we took the jacket off of her. And it was in fall and people would come up and they would say, you need to put a jacket on that baby. People want to tell you what they know. In college, I had long rock star hair. I wish I had a picture. It was down. I could pull my hair down to my chin. It was swooped out of the way. It was, I was a drummer in a band. It's sort of necessary. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> Eddie's got it. And I was leading singing at the downtown Church of Christ in Searcy, Arkansas. And downtown Church of Christ has, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 people in this big gym. And I was leading singing, and then we had one of those meet and greets. And this woman, who was probably like 112, <laughs> came up. She came. She came up to me and reached up and I thought, oh, she's like going to bless me or something. I don't know. Her hands came to my face and she took all my hair and pushed it behind my ears (laughs) so that it was out like this. like I look like a cobra. (laughs) Without saying a word. And then she pulled back and said, that's better. It's like, all right, if this is what we do at the church. And then I fixed hers. <laughs> which would have been, everyone knows that I'm joking, which would have been inappropriate. She would have known that if I would have done it to her. But she's like, oh, I'm going to fix him. We're really good at fixing people. We're really good at saying, here's what's wrong with you. I can interject. Here's what's wrong with your kid. If you would just do this, if you would just do that, we're really good at saying, "Here's what you need to do." We're really good with words of wisdom. Your words of wisdom are typically getting you in trouble because you you can you can direct other people's lives. You can direct other people's sermons. You can direct other people's uh, games or their decisions in games or your. De- you, you are a good director because we typically, whenever we're directing, have the uh, privilege of hindsight. That's not wisdom. At least, the Bible says, it's not wisdom that comes from a good place. Just knowing isn't all that important. In James chapter 3, and we'll start a little bit above 16, start in verse 13. James asked a question to the people there. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who's wise? Who has wisdom? Who gets it? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility of that comes from wisdom. Wisdom doesn't mean that you know better. Wisdom leads you to live better. Wisdom isn't you speaking. Actually, when you speak the at a higher the the more volume of words you have, the more likely you will be a fool. Which is why you can now stand and sing. I'm just kidding. We're not ending the sermon yet. I've done that before. You know that song you, you said, "I'm," and we're done, and they all sang it again? I've, done, I've, I've wanted to quit preaching, and they've said, no, no, keep going. <laughs> yeah, I know how you feel. Who so is If you're wise, I want to see it. Because it's not your words that impress people. It's not what you say you are. Quit telling other people what you are. This isn't ninth grade or freshman in college year. You don't have to prove yourself with your words. They're not trustworthy. Who is wise among you? Who understands things? Let them know it. By what you do, your good life, deeds done by humility that comes from wisdom. I love that humility comes from wisdom. The more you know, the more humble you should be. When you truly learn something, you truly learn how humble you should be. The people I read make me feel stupid. Because I'm having to read what they're saying twice, three times to get it. N.T. Wright, a a popular and rightfully so New Testament scholar, writes, I swear, writes faster than I can read. And then in his book, he's got these references to all these books he had to read to write this thing. And I'm just, I'm not, I'm not that. He so said, your life lived well with humility, a humility that comes from wisdom. That's what real wisdom looks like. He goes on in verse 14. Verse 14 says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, bitter envy there could be translated zeal, could be translated where like you are passionate about getting yours, if you harbor zeal and selfish ambition or bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Like that wisdom that makes you think, I've got to be right, and I need other people to know I'm right, and I need other, and I need them to profess it from the rooftop that not only was I right, but because of my rightness, they are wrongness. Now, some of you right then are going, "Wait, well, he said that wrong." We have an instinct in us to correct. We have an instinct in us to be superior. We have an instinct to be cor- to be right, to be smart. Because you can just see the NBC rainbow going around and saying, "For knowledge is power," and it's not. Knowledge doesn't bring us power. Several times in Scripture, in the in, especially in the Old Testament, that are odd to me. Maybe they they'd be odd too if you just think about them a little bit where God's walking in the garden after Ab- uh, after Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit of the knowledge of the tr- of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and guess what God says where are you God says where are you he tells Abraham take your son take him up a mountain I want you to sacrifice him Abraham says, probably a little too quickly, okay. Maybe yesterday had been just one of those days you have with a teenager. So he marches him up a mountain. Abraham almost sacrifices him, and God stops him, and then God says something strange. Now I know. Now I know that you are faithful. God rescues the people from Egypt. Marches them out after the after the plagues and they they the last plague pharaoh says okay Absolutely, and he marches them out of egypt moses they walk across the red sea and then they get to the mountain And god is giving them the law the covenant by which they're going to live And he says I will be your god and you will be my people my people the people I let out of egypt The people I let out of egypt several times throughout there He says I am the lord your god who brought you up out of egypt I am the lord your god who brought you up out of egypt and god looks down down and sees them worshiping a golden calf. And he says to Moses, look what those people who you brought out of Egypt are doing. And God says, here's my plan. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to start over with you like I did with Abraham. Moses says, God, that's a bad idea. Because if you kill them, the Egyptians will say that you just led them out of Egypt to slaughter them. God says, good point, we'll go with your idea. Do those passages confound you any? Make you say, wait, 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 wait. That, that's not how that's supposed to work. There's dozens dozens of them in the Old Testament where God... Seems to not know. How do you deal with that? Have you? Will you tonight while you're trying to go to sleep? Here's how I deal with it. I think God can know everything. But I don't think that necessarily means he does. So I think God is all-powerful. So God could, if He pleased, know everything. But it seems, like in the garden, like with Abraham, like with Moses, there are times He revokes that privilege so that a relationship can be had. How would your marriage fare if you knew every thought of your spouse? Not well. That's the answer. I, I, well, I've been counseling couples, and they, typically when I counsel couples, I just pick a fight and see what happens. It works, and I've been counseling couples, and I've heard I've heard a man say, "You know, you're just." Oh. Have you ever said that you made a good decision? You didn't say the thing you were thinking. You didn't let it out of your head. But typically, whether it's this woman or the man who said it, the the spouse will then go, what? What? What were you going to say? Don't tempt them, Satan. They made a good decision. They stopped from saying what was in their head. We are not supposed to know. Good relationships are built on filters. And us being able to to take each other at face value, the fact that God at times decides to experience and learn with His people instead of just know everything immediately means that God values relationships over knowledge. But in our Western culture, we love knowledge. We actually are more proud of the fact that God is all-knowing than we are of the fact that God is all-powerful. But if God is all-knowing, if God has to know everything all the time, then guess what's more powerful than God? Knowledge. Knowledge imposes itself on God. That's just not how it works. You weren't prepared for theology this morning, and I apologize. But it's important because we need to devalue knowledge in our head and not equate it with wisdom. Knowing what's right does not count for anything. We all know what's right. Wisdom leads us to humbly do What's right, and he says this wisdom—the wisdom of of being first, the wisdom of being right, the wisdom of the, that knowledge—that does not come from above, that does not come from heaven, that comes from that is earthly and it is unspiritual and it is demonic. He goes on in verse sixteen and says this: For where you have envy and selfish ambition. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there in that place you find disorder and every evil practice. This is true for your church. It's true for your workplace. It's true true for your job. It's true for your parenting. It's just true. When the utmost goal is to be right, to be correct, to win, to have selfish ambition. You will find disorder, chaos, every evil practice. God's goal is not to be right. God is right. But not all the time. I'm going to let that sit for a second. First commandment. Do you remember the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. Now, if I said you shall have no other gods before me to a group of people who worshipped other gods. you remember they came from Egypt? Ra, Amen. El. They had all sorts of gods in, in Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. But God, there is no other God. God's willing to say what they need to hear to bring them into relationship with Him. Now, it's a great command at the moment. Now, He'll tell them later, I am the only God. But that's not what they needed right then. God's goal is not to be right. God is right. But God's goal is to be your God and for you to be His people. God wants relationship with you. God does not want correctness from you, although that helps with relationship at times. But when we are seeking to be first, when we are ambitious for ourselves, when we envy people who we think might be higher than us and we are bitter about it, you're not going to develop relationships. Let me tell you how this works in marriage, what this looks like. It looks like a scoreboard. It looks like they've done this and I've done this and we are really good at keeping our own score and we're not great at keeping our spouse's score so that. Advantage is always ours. We are ambitious. We are selfish. We, are, we envy. We are bitter. And so we play a game of tennis on opposite sides of the court. When in the end, in your marriage, you should be playing doubles against the world. You should be on the same side fighting this world together. Wisdom humbles you. True wisdom makes your relationships better. But envy, selfish ambition, it's in those places that you will find disorder, chaos, and every evil practice. Whether it's in your home, or it's in your church, or it's in your workplace, you're You will not be set free when you have that attitude. And you may think, Oh, this place and that place and this this spouse or that the problem is you. Because if the goal is to be right, you will never have friends. The goal is to be first, everyone else will be the enemy. But if the goal is to be wise, wise like God wants you to be wise, wise like God is wise, sometimes being right, sometimes not knowing, is better than knowing if you can have the relationship that comes from it. People don't want your unsolicited advice but they do want your unsolicited love people don't hear want to hear what you have to say but they will always accept what you have to offer and so when we when we come to the cross and we see a man who is innocent This is an incorrect crucifixion. It is an improper guilty verdict. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even on the cross, Jesus was more concerned with his relationship with those people than he was about what was correct in the moment. And thankfully, Jesus is more concerned about His relationship with you than He is about whether you deserve it or earn it. God wants a relationship with you. He has offered the path through Jesus where we can unite with Jesus and be in relationship with God. That—that That is power to me. Someone, God, the creator of the universe, the God who brought His people up out of Egypt, the God, He loves us so much that He's willing to sacrifice anything for a relationship with us. And He proved it with His Son. So now, all we have to do is say yes. God said yes to us through grace. We say yes to God in return. So if you want that relationship this morning, if you want it to to affect your whole life, that relationship with God, if you want it to re- affect your whole life, and I mean it, your whole life, then please do not think that lunch five minutes later is worth not giving your life to God. Let's, let's do this today. Let's make that commitment today. Let's follow Jesus today. For the first time or for the third time. Maybe you've just completely messed up and your life is just in shambles and you want to come back to the following, to the way, to the church, to Jesus. Whatever you need this morning, please come forward while we stand and sing.